We're on our, our last message of uh, this month, and talking about Christ as the source of life. And we're going to kind of uh, be talking a slightly different. We've been looking at some uh, pictures, word pictures in the Bible that, uh, that describe Christ, and, and they've all kind of had a theme. We've been talking about a branch and, and roots and, and, and things, and, and today is going to take a, a little departure from that, but uh, as I was organizing this uh, in, in uh, last year, this is kind of the best place it fit. Uh, but uh, before we get into that, I want to talk about um, the breakup of a major monopoly. Uh, in 1974, an antitrust uh, lawsuit was filed against the company. It was getting a little bit too big for its britches. Probably most of you, uh, if you're my age or older, you know already what I'm talking about. Uh, but you would actually... Uh, have to go back to the 1800s to, to see the, the source of the problem. Um, Alexander Graham Bell, a great inventor, uh, he began the first telephone exchange in Connecticut, actually, in, 19, or in 1877. That was called Bell Telephone. Well, uh, the race now was for long distance up to that point. The original was just kind of all local. Uh, it was just a local switchboard. So everybody was trying to figure out how they could get this thing to go long distance. And so, so over time, various companies sprung up. One of them was started by Alexander Graham Bell. Uh, and so they had a, a sub-company, um, which was called American Telephone and Telegraph. All right. Uh, now, because long distance became so popular, uh, it actually outperformed the mother company. And, and so uh, it swallowed up Bell Telephone. Uh, and so it was AT&T, of course, right? And, and it continued to get bigger and bigger. And it started swallowing up all these other competitors as, as time went on. But, but all, the, all the while, it still retained the logo uh, for, for Bell. That was the popular logo. Um, until 1984, they were finally broken up. Ironically, in, uh, and so to them, there was all these what they called baby bells. Remember the baby bells? So all, these other, all these other little sub-companies, eight, of, eight or nine of them or whatever they were. Actually, funny is, is that the, most of them have been swallowed back up into AT&T. Uh, but but in, uh, in 2005, Southwestern Bell, one of the, 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 so one of the original kind of, kind of how it, the original swallowed up AT&T again. It's, it's all kind of... Bizarre and confusing, still retaining the AT&T logo. Uh, so, so it's just kind of funny how, how everything... And, and the title of Christ, and what does this have to do with the title of Christ? And we're going to get to that, because as we go through and look at this picture today, there's kind of some twists and turns, um, maybe not that complex, but, but some twists and turns all the same. And so we're going to begin in our text which is in uh, Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And you wonder what in the world that has to do with, with AT&T. Well, uh, first of all, we're gonna, we'll, we'll get there, I promise. Uh, now, the morning star, what is the bright and morning star? Anybody know what the bright morning star is? It's also a bright evening star. But uh, anybody know what the bright morning star is? Venus. It's Venus. It's not a star at all. Um, because of its closeness, uh, the reflection of, of the sun and everything, uh, it, it is the first thing that it, as, as the day gets 
light, it, it's, it's, this, it's this harbinger. It's the, as the stars fade, it, it remains. And then at night, as, as it's getting dark, uh, it's, the, it's because of its closeness and brightness, it's the first one that appears. Uh, and so they call it the, the, the harbinger of day because, because it's, it's what is going to be visible. It's the only thing visible right before the sun comes up. So it is the bright morning star. Um, and uh, Venus uh, has, has become important in many cultures. In fact, many flags, if you look at uh, in the Middle East, uh, the, many flags contain this star, the, the crescent moon. And that's, uh, that's actually uh, its depiction as the evening star, not as the morning star. Uh, but Venus, it's actually the, the star represents Venus. Uh, and that goes back to Persia. Uh, and various things like that. But it, it's a very important cultural thing, this, this, this important symbol to them in, in astrology and, and astronomy. Uh, and so uh, and they thought of this, this star as, as having importance to revealing special wisdom. Uh, and so they thought that somehow they would get special wisdom uh, from Venus. Well, we're not interested in Venus. Uh, we are interested in the bright morning star because Christ takes these pictures of light and, and that's what we're going to be looking at. Christ is light and uh, uh, its importance on life. And so we want to talk about Christ, the morning star. We're not interested, as I say, in Venus, the morning star. And kind of getting back to, to what we opened with, uh, we want to talk about uh, Christ's competition. All right? Here's this competition. And Isaiah 14:12 is kind of where this picture is drawn from. And he uh, says, "How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning! How you are cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations." Now I have that in King James for a reason. If you have that in a modern version, it will not say Lucifer, uh, and there's a reason for that. Um, Lucifer uh, is not in the original. Now, uh, there's a word there, Hallel, which means the carrier of, of, of dawn or the carrier of, of brightness or something to that effect. Uh, Lucifer is a Latin word. Anybody speak Spanish? A little bit? How do you remember, how do you remember those commercials in like, uh, they were, I remember it was for Rosetta Stone, and I remember those on the radio, and I remember the light is loose, right? Remember that? You ever remember those commercials? Okay, I'm old. <laughs> the light is loose. Loose is a Latin word. So, so that was kind of, that was showing you how they teach Spanish, right? Uh, loose comes from Latin, and so it's in Spanish and, and in French as the meaning of light. And so Lucifer was, was a word meaning, the, it was the equivalent of this word, the carrier of light, or the carrier of dawn. It was a reference to Venus in Latin. It was actually not a name at all. And uh, in, in, in this, uh, so, so there's lots of debates among people, is, the word, is, is Lucifer a name for Satan? No, it's not. Now we're going to talk about Satan. Uh, and I do believe that this passage gives reference to Satan, but, but Lucifer is not actually a name because this is not a Hebrew, uh, a Hebrew derivative. Lucifer... Uh, has nothing to do. It's a Latin word. Now, I do want to talk about some context because we need to know who Christ's competition is. Who is, who is God's competition? 
Because um, he talks about this Lucifer, or this carrier of dawn, being cut down to the ground. Well, in Isaiah 14, if we looked at the, the, the context of this, he says... Uh, he, he begins this, and we're not going to read the whole section, but I think it's important to read the opening. He says, you will take up this taunt against Babylon. So, so God says, Isaiah, you're going to make fun of Babylon. That's what he says, take up this taunt. You're about to insult and make fun of Babylon. How the oppressor are, are, uh, has ceased, the insolent fury. So he's taking, you're going to make fun of not just Babylon, but the king of Babylon. Well, who's the king of Babylon? The king of Babylon is Nebuchadnezzar. So the context of this actually has to do with Nebuchadnezzar. And we know the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was this guy, and he thought he was hot stuff, because he conquered the world. Uh, And uh, so he had image made, and he was just all just so great. And uh, and God says, well, I I got some news for you. Um, you're going to eat grass. You're going to be like a wild donkey. Uh, and and so, so we know that story. God brings him low because he thought he was just a little too high. God had, had planned to use him for something and did use him for something, but, but when he thought it was more about him than, than what God wanted to, um, God says, we can't have any competition here. We're going to have to break up the monopoly. So he did. Well, by way of, of context, then, if this, is not, if this is talking about Nebuchadnezzar, is it talking then about Satan? Well, I do believe it is. And here's why. Job 38, 7, we go back, and this is kind of interesting, verse, uh, verse 4 through 7. He says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? He's talking to Job. He says, Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? And on what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy? And so, uh, here he's referencing angels as morning stars, the sons of God. And so we know that that even prior to to Isaiah and and prior to Revelation, that God used the picture of of morning stars to talk about angels. And so I, I, I believe that Isaiah is a, a double reference. A lot of times God does that. He uses a reference specifically for one person. He says, I'm going to take that and I'm going to apply that to somebody else. And what's interesting is that, that throughout time, uh, from the beginning of, of, of the church, the, the, the writers of, of, of uh, religious works all understood this or, or believed this to be a reference to Satan. Um, now, that brings us to Christ. And Christ comes. And, 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 and this is, I want to read to you the setting uh, and, and why, I, again, why I believe that this is talking about Satan. Um, in the New Testament, uh, there's this picture of, uh, in Matthew chapter 12. It says, When the Pharisees heard it, they said it's... Uh, and here in this setting, Christ is, is healing demons uh, or healing people with demons. He says, It's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste. No city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? 
And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, who do your, who do your sons cast them out by? Therefore they will be your judges. If it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his good unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed, he can go and plunder the house. And so, though there's no reference to here to the concept of the morning star specifically, it gives us a picture, I think, of, of what we see in Satan in, in, in this time as Christ comes. And, and we see a world that, that looks so much different from anything you or I would recognize. Uh, imagine just going into an, a, a village, and a, not even a big village, I mean something that might be the size of, of a development here or here. That's, that's what some of these villages, we, we think of you know, bringing things up. It would be like just a little subdivision. That was what some of these, these towns in Galilee were like. And yet here they are just bringing out people after people possessed with demons. I mean, that's a different world. I, I can't imagine a world as dark as the one that Christ came to. We think that the world around us is dark. It is nothing. It is nothing. The world we live in is so different. If we were to spend a day or two in that world, we would beg to be back here. In the worst possible conditions that you can think you might live in today would be pleasant compared uh, to what many people lived in back then. And so Christ comes to bring light. He comes to break up the monopoly, as I say. Well, it wasn't, it, wasn't a nice, uh, it wasn't a nice little court case, and, uh, and we're gonna, we got a nice little resolution. It was a hostile takeover. Christ says, I have come to bind the strong man, and then I'm going to plunder his goods. I mean, that's the picture. Well, a couple of things about that. First thing, as we, as we read, was to limit Satan's power. Now, he didn't say he's going to end Satan's power completely. Satan is still here. Satan still does stuff. But he has limited Satan's power. Uh, and the second thing he's done uh, is to assume the title. He assumed the title of the morning star as he is coming to bring brightness. Now, I don't know under what, uh, what conditions or what the reference was while Satan had it, uh, or Nebuchadnezzar for that matter. I, I don't know what, what it was a reference to them. I just, it's not really important, because they don't have the title anyway. It's important to me to know why Christ has it. Uh, and this is interesting, Revelation, going back to Revelation now chapter 2, and he's, he's writing to the to the seven churches in this section, and he writes a little paragraph to the church at Thyatira. And this one passage, I think, is important. He says, Now hold fast um, what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. I don't know what that means. I'm going to tell you that right now. I don't know what I'm going to have to do over the nations. But he said it, so I guess it's, it's probably important. And he will rule over them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots 
are broken in pieces. Even as I myself have received authority from the Father, and I will give him the morning star. And isn't that interesting that, that Christ, Christ is the morning star. And he says, I will give him the morning star. What does that mean? Christ is giving himself. That's something different. Christ, as the source of life, gives himself. I will give that person the morning star to those who have held on to the end. And so, that's a, a, a concept here. This first, obviously, it's eternity. That there's this, this morning star. That it, here's this, here, I give you the morning star. I give you this symbol of, of what is about to happen. And what we have here is just a symbol. And we, we look at the good things in life and how wonderful life can be, especially when we go back and compare it to the, to the past. And those people in those villages, they had a glimpse of something good that could be, right? Everybody's got just a glimpse of what's coming. We have just a glimpse of what can possibly be this picture of heaven. You have uh, the morning star. I'm going to give you the morning star. I'm going to give you this hope of something far greater than you can imagine. The, the, you drive, I don't know if you've ever, I like to drive through the night. And uh, one, we put the kids to sleep and I can make better time. Uh, But it's also, it's peaceful. There's not a lot of traffic on the road. I can just, I can make good time. And and the sun just starts coming up. You can just see it kind of way off. Uh, And and there's that one star. And, And you know it's about, you don't know quite when the stars stop shining, but there's that one little thing, and you know it's about to be day. Right? And that's what this is. The brightness that is coming is, is, is no comparison to what there's just that little orange glow over the, over the horizon. But it is about to get real bright. And that's what we have, Christ says, I, I give you the morning star. I give you the promise of something brighter than you can possibly imagine. What you have right now, what you might think it's great, but it is only a small, little, just a faint glow on the horizon. That it's about to get really bright. It talks about eternity. But that does show us that there is something positive even here. So many times people talk about how awful it is and... and Listen, there's still a relationship here. There's still things here. Christ offers us to know Him as the morning star. That means there's something now that is... I I don't have to wait. I I have the morning star now. Christ gives us the morning star and offers Himself. So, since He does that, we want to know the morning star. Let's know the morning star. Let's not just know about him. Let's know him. Well, the first thing that's important, I'm going to talk about... Say that one more time. Brand loyalty. Brand loyalty is not something that uh, people have as much as they used to. Uh, You think about... I mean, when people used to go to a store, they would... That was their store. I went there, we go... We go to this store. We go to Sears. Now people just go wherever the cheapest price is, and if it's not, they walk in the store and they're like, okay, I'm going to compare it to Amazon. Amazon's cheaper. 
order it and walk out the store, right? That, that's, that's how we do it now. It's probably a little bit smarter. But people used to have brand loyalty. We have to know uh, the Morning Star and, and have brand loyalty. Because, oh, here, let me get back there. Uh, the Second Corinthians 11:13 through 15 says, Such men are false. They are false apostles. They are deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. And so uh, it's important. Brand loyalty is important. There's uh, some cheap knockoffs out there. Satan hasn't given up. Christ bound him but didn't destroy him. And Satan may have lost the title, but that doesn't mean he's not still working in competition. He will attempt to convince people that he is something he's not. And he will come from very convincing sources. I'm not sure if you read the news this week, we're about to have a new commandment. Did you hear this? The Pope is going to add an 11th commandment. It's true. Now, the majority of the people in this room probably don't pay much attention to the Pope. But there are a lot of people that do. And, and his word still carries weight with a lot of people. Maybe fewer than it used to. But just like that, Satan will use convincing sources. Now, it might not be the Pope with you, but it might be somebody else. It might be, it might be a writer of religious books. It might, I, I don't know. Amen. What is the person or the source? Do we check the sources? Do we know the reality? Because Satan still masquerades as an angel of light. There's a, a story that Peter refers to in Second Peter 1, 16 through 19. He refers back to an event that happened to him. He says, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you would do well to pay attention. As to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. He's referring back to the transfiguration. And he says, listen, Christ is the one with the glory. Satan doesn't got it. We saw it with our own eyes. We heard God with our own voice. We've seen the real thing. And you would pay attention to listen to the same voice we've heard. It's just going to go a lot easier for you if you listen to the right voice. <clears throat> But, it's interesting, Peter could not relate to people in, in a sense to who haven't, 
I mean, Peter's already in a different spot. Peter's seen it. You ever, you ever seen something and witnessed something and you wish you could communicate it to somebody? There's no words. Some of you traveled to exotic places. Now, I suppose if you stood at the Grand Canyon, you can't describe it to me. I've seen it kind of flying over. I, I haven't seen it there. I, whatever the place is, whatever the thing is, you just, just we use words like awesome. Awesome. What does that mean? People use the word awesome to describe a hamburger. That doesn't mean anything to me anymore. I had an awesome burger. What is the word? There's, there's no words. I, I, and so, so, so Peter says, listen, I saw it. And, and I can see him desperately trying to communicate what he saw. And there's no words. He has seen the transfiguration. There's three people that can share this. And yet... He still offers us something that we can. There's still a couple things actually in here. I'm going to look at those. Well, the first thing he offers is intellectual commitment. You want brand loyalty? Have intellectual commitment. We fall prey to subjective arguments all the time. People use, well, if this, then what about that? How can a good God allow bad people to suffer? You know all the subjective arguments. Listen, if God is God, it doesn't change. God doesn't say, oh, a bad thing happened to a good person. I guess I stopped existing. He either exists or he doesn't. a, A subjective argument doesn't determine a real fact. And we fall prey to subjective arguments. Look. This object, objective truth is the only thing that really matters in determining uh, or understanding the existence or, or the, the truth of God. Brand loyalty requires an intellectual commitment. Truth is not determined by your emotions, and it is not determined by your experience. Now, your emotions and experience are valuable, but not in determining truth. Truth is what it is. Truth, we, we, we hear phrases like, uh, well, what this, does this mean to me? Nope. Not important what it means to you. It's just important what it means. That's all that's important. This is what it means. The truth doesn't mean something to you, as though it's different from what it means to me. Right? That's subjective. The truth just means what it means. It's just the facts, ma'am. Right? That's just what it is. S-O-C-K-S, that was the other one I remember from that. It is what it is. So intellectual commitment. And the second one, a passionate awakening. He says, where does the morning star arise? In your hearts. Emotions are important. Don't want to discount that. It's not in determining facts. But it is a desire that requires an application of the facts. You've got to allow something to affect you. You can know facts, and we can read books, and I've got books on books about this fact and that fact. 
But at some point, facts have to be allowed to be where they are and what they mean, but it has to affect me in my emotions. Otherwise, it's just a list of information. Encyclopedias don't move people. You ever see a great uh, cultural revolution born out of an encyclopedia? No. It doesn't happen. It's valuable information, but until something touches a person, it doesn't move us. Now, we are all moved by different things. Something may move you that is an expression of God's kindness. God uses his kindness sometimes to move people. You ever had a, just like, I wasn't expecting this or whatever, and you feel very undeserving of something, and it just, it moves you. Some people are touched that way. And some people are touched by tragedy. Some people are touched by maybe an awareness of 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 a moral failure and are just really overwhelmed with that. And some people are overwhelmed by a burden for other people. What I found is that, just in my observation, is that people who are touched somewhere, it will move to the other areas that maybe it didn't start with. You might start from a kindness towards you, and it might move to, to your awareness for other people or, or vice versa, but you've got to allow God to move you somewhere beyond the fact, beyond the information. Brand loyalty requires a connection to something. What is it around me or in me that is moving me, that is calling me to respond emotionally. And I want to close with one question. Just one thought. Because I am not the morning star. I can only be a reflection. So am I a reflection. The morning star is that which gives hope to people of something beyond. And as I say, I can't be that for people. But we are just the ability to reflect that glimmer of hope for people who live in a world with no absolute truth. Some of you are in college. Some of you recently graduated from college. And you know that they live in a world where they fight against absolute truth. Even math now is questioned. Uh, Math. I mean, how do you question math? Math is not an absolute. And so they live in a world without any compass whatsoever. And you might be the only reflection of something absolute in the lives of the people around you. You may be the only projection of hope, genuine 
hope and joy in a world that has really low goals? What are their goals? What, are their, what is the achievement? Some financial success? Some, some personal glory? A limited sphere of influence and prestige or recognition? I mean, the goals that they have are pretty low. And they might never experience genuine hope or joy, except that they are around somebody who has that and knows and has the morning star. You walk out here today as a person who has the morning star. Think about that. Christ says, I... I'm offering you myself. You have the morning star. You walk out those doors and get in those cars and you go and you have the morning star. And that is what the people around you need is access to the morning star.